grab your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And you know that any given time that we come together, we're studying through the scriptures, a book at a time, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, seeing scripture in context and allowing the Lord to speak to us. And we end it week before last in Ephesians 4 verse 16 is where we end it. And so we're going to pick up our study today in verse 17 and we're going to work our way down through verse 24. And as you're turning there, this, this, this past week, one of the privileges of being a pastor here is that I get an opportunity to spend time with youth on some Fridays with the homeschool group. And I was spending some time with them. We study apologetics. We were going through scripture. And one of the youth said to me, how does God change you? That was her question. How does God change you? I love questions like that, man. But I began to give my canned pastor's answer, <laughs> but it dawned on me that that is such a wonderful question and many people don't know. And, and those of us, some of us who think we know it, one of the things that we assume is that when he does change us, when we are born again, everything changes instantly and technically it does, but then there's a pro process to what he's doing in our lives, isn't it? And that's what we're going to see today as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians. You remember the title of this whole study, the book of Ephesians, is His Workmanship. Y'all remember that? His Workmanship. And the word actually in the Greek, it means His poem. That's beautiful. We are His poem, His masterpiece. Let's stand and read verse 17 through 24, and then we'll dive in and see what the Lord will say to us. So Ephesians 4, 17, if you dare say amen. amen. This I say, therefore, and testify... In the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him. And been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And Father, we thank you, Lord. And as we stand in your presence, Lord, we ask that even now at this very moment that you would begin to remove the cares of this life, the burdens of this life and this world that we live in, that we may have brought in with us, Lord God, that you would even remove the distractions from the room, that you would take this time, that you would teach us by your spirit as only you can, Lord, that you would give us the things that make for correction, rebuke, and comfort, Lord, that you would speak to us individually and collectively, Lord, that you would continue to transform us to the image of your son. We love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. And it's in Jesus' name we say together, saints, amen. amen. Take your seat, take your seat. So if you uh, have been with us, you know that this study has been so wonderful. There's two things we're going to do today after we review. We're going to perform an autopsy of the old man, and then we're going to examine the new or the life of the new man, things that we know. You notice in verse 17 how Paul begins. He says, I say, therefore, and testify, which we love. He says, I say, therefore, and every time we see that, therefore, we're tying two things together, right? Everything that he's previously said based upon that, he's now going to exhort us further. 
based upon those things. And we've seen so many things. I mean, we could just take it back to chapter one and just think about all of the things which we've learned, which have been such a blessing. We learned back in chapter one that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, hasn't he? No matter what it looks like down here, we, the saints, those of us who know Jesus, who are born again, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And the book of Ephesians is teaching us how to accept and walk in those things. Not only every spiritual blessing, but also that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, meaning that before God began to do any of this work, he chose us, he could see us, he knew us before he started. No one in this room is an afterthought. Everybody in this room, God held in his heart before he ever created you. Jesus had you in his heart when he hung on the cross. Isn't that wonderful to know? So as I always tell you, even if mom and dad had an oops, you weren't an oops to God. You're special. Not only did he choose you before the foundation of the world, according to his foreknowledge, he predestined you in Christ. He accepted you. You were redeemed by the blood of Christ. And then he sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Remember all of those things. And so then he goes on to say that those of us who were dead in sins and trespasses, he's quickened or made us alive in Christ Jesus. Amen. We were dead and now we are alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Then he did this amazing thing by taking the two separate things. And made them one, removing the middle ground or the middle wall of separation. Remember, he made the Jew and the Gentile become one in Christ, creating in Christ a brand new body, which he calls the church. Y'all remember that? So beautiful. Which he has built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Scripture tells us, as he's creating this building that he will inhabit. And with this brand new building, which he calls the church, he will glorify himself by displaying his manifold wisdom to the angelic host. Remember we talked about this? Therefore, making us, the church collectively, his masterpiece. And then further, not just that, he created this church to be unified in him. And so he exhorted us that we should endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Then he organized the church, as the scripture says, he gave some to be apostles and some prophets, right? The lay of foundation, others evangelists and pastor teachers, all for the equipping of all of the saints, the body of Christ. Why? Till we, for the work of the ministry, till we all come to the knowledge of God. And so he is working on all of us, putting us all in the service of Christ, no matter where you are. Amen. And so with all of that, that he's taught us and he's, he's spoken to us, he says, I say, therefore, based on all of that and testify. Now, it's very, very interesting as we begin to think of that, because you got to understand Paul is making this statement in verse 17 from a Jewish mindset before I continue. Notice what he says. He says, I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And so what he's saying from a Jewish perspective, when he says the rest of the Gentiles, because the majority of the church in Ephesus were Gentiles who were saved, some Jews there as well who were saved, but he's kind of drawing this distinction. What he's saying is that at least, listen, from the Jewish mindset, at least the Jewish nation, even those who did not believe in Christ as Messiah, had piety because they lived with the understanding that there was one God, right? They had a temple that they still went to and performed sacrifices, although those sacrifices didn't really atone for anything. 
but they understood that there was one God. And so they live at least trying to fulfill the law. We know that nobody fulfills the law outside of Christ, but they were at least trying to fulfill the law. So even the Jewish nation that didn't believe lived quite differently than the rest of the Gentile world. So what he's saying is the language is implying, I say, therefore, and testify, we're going to go back to that one, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And so in verse 17, listen very carefully, Paul is making a clear declaration that there must be a transformation that takes place in the life of a believer because we are no longer classified with the rest of the Gentiles, or you can simply say the non-believing world. We are a new classification, or we have obtained a new status. Remembering the book of Galatians, we found out that the new status meant that we were now, those of us in Christ, are now sons and daughters of the king, amen, and heirs with Christ Jesus of the kingdom. So we have obtained a brand new glorious status, and that's what Paul is making a very point. And so therefore, we should respond to that, and that is what we're going to get in today. We should respond to that and walk and live differently. So Paul says, I say therefore, what he's saying is now that you understand what Christ has done, the glorious work that he's started before the foundation of the world, which he has continued in Christ Jesus in the church and what he is doing through the church and will do with the church, you being an individual member. So based upon all of that, here's what you should now do in response to that. In other words, the Bible is written for us to obey, not to just know it. We are to obey it and we are to apply it in our lives. Amen. That's the point he's drawing here. Now, therefore, that we know all of that, you should do something. And we're going to get into that today. And so as we begin to perform this autopsy, there's several things we're going to see. The first thing is the old man, we're going to kind of dissect him now. We're going to open him up. The old man, the first thing we see is that his thinking is vain. Did you know that? The old man's thinking is vain. When I look back before I was saved, I had pretty vain thinking. Notice what he says, in the fertility of their mind. The word actually in the Greek, it means to be devoid of truth and appropriateness, but to be full of useless things such as perverseness, depravity, and actually implies frailty lacking any spiritual vigor or health. And so the old man was spiritually unhealthy and his thinking was devoid of any truth. And I want to say before we continue, what this does not mean is that non-believers generally are completely useless in their thought process. I mean, we were pretty creative. I was actually a pretty creative guy and hardworking before I was saved. I could accomplish a lot of things, you know, and we, man has, I mean, we fly to the moon, you know, we fly around the world in, in, in no time. I mean, we've created a lot of, we've done a lot of things. That's not what he's saying. Man is created in the image of God. But what he's saying is outside of God or prior to becoming born again or knowing God, our thinking is futile, it's vain, it has, listen, no eternal value. And we see this most often when we do missions and outreach. You know, because we as the church, when we do missions and outreach, we love if we have an opportunity to provide fresh water to a village. We love if we have an opportunity to meet the need of hunger. We love if we can clothe nakedness. We love if we can provide for the practical needs that people in the world has. But to do all of that and then fly back to America having not delivered the gospel is something that we just can't live with. 
because we understand to give man everything practically in this world and still see him go to hell is to have done nothing at all. And so we think differently now. We see things differently now. But if we dissect or perform an autopsy on the non-believer, we see a fraternity of the mind. In fact, the war, I used to watch the show Extreme Makeover, and it was a great show. Y'all remember that show? Okay, I don't have cable anymore, but I do remember watching that, and I remember they would roll the bus in. Isn't that the same show? They would roll the bus in, and they would do all this stuff, and everybody was happy momentarily, and the tears was flying, and it would just tug on your heart. I used to love that show. But then at the end of the show, I always had this little, man, but they, but they need the gospel. They need something eternal. And it would leave me hanging. And so prior to being saved, the unbelieving man has vain thinking. Not only that, he cannot understand the world around him or himself. Notice it says not only the futility of his mind, but having their understanding darkened. You see that? So meaning, listen. Meaning to actually be covered in darkness, literally to be consumed in a shroud of darkness with the darkness of the world, kind of like the spreading of cancer that takes over completely, eating up all healthy cells. It's just no real understanding or light. In fact, the Bible tells us, Paul speaking in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, Paul says that they professing to be wise... They have become fools. In other words, they profess to be wise, rejecting everything of God, but they have become fools. Their understanding is darkened. In fact, he actually goes on to say that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In fact, unless they come to repent, they're completely lacking understanding, he says. And why? It says because, look at it again, darkened because they are alienated from God or they are literally without the life of God, alienated from the life of God. Can you remember when you were alienated from the life of God? Could you imagine being away from the life and the love of God now? No, I can't imagine going back there, but they were literally, he is alienated from the life of God. And that's where we were. Not only that, he is blind and ignorant to truth. Look at it again with me in verse 18. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of the heart. In other words, completely blind and unable to recognize truth. Mark 4.12 says this. Jesus speaking, he says, that seeing they may see and not perceive. In other words, they have eyes to see, but they can't see spiritually they can't perceive or hearing they may hear and not understand they have ears physically they hear what's going on around them but they can't hear uh spiritually the things that are are necessary less at any times jesus says they should be converted and their sin be forgiven them in other words until they respond to the message of god until they are born again they do not have the faculties to actually understand fully the truth of God that is going around them every day. And this is why, listen, this is why the world today can view the church in the wrong way. Just because we do not affirm the things that the world wants that goes against the will of God, it's difficult for them to accept the church regardless of how loving the church may be. In other words, they don't have the faculties to see it the right way. And so we need to stay the course in love because see, man obviously cannot save himself. Or even come to know God fully without God himself working in the process. In fact, remember, when we were on 2 Corinthians on Wednesday nights, chapter 4, on the screen, listen to this. Remember this. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God 
of this age, little g, which is Satan. So remember, often in scripture, we'll see the little God of this world or the little God of this age because it's a little g, and that is referring to Satan. Adam, if you will, forfeited dominion to Satan, which Jesus has stripped away from him and will, and when he takes the scroll out of his father's hand, will begin to judge and rule. But it says the little God of this age has blinded those who don't believe, who do not believe. He says, lest the light, here it is, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Meaning that this is why it is so important that we preach the gospel with the way we live, as well as every opportunity we have to present it. Because it's when that gospel shines on their heart, and I'm so thankful that that gospel shined in my heart one day and I was saved. Notice what he says next. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord and ourselves, your bondservant for Jesus' sake. For it is God, he says, who commanded, look at this, light to shine out of darkness. We love that. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, which is also why as a believer, we must humble ourselves. Because you know what that tells me? It tells me unless God had commanded the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine on my heart, I would still be lost with no hope. But because he has sent it forth, you know, the Bible says that he's chosen to, uh, to the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. And how beautiful are the feet of those who preach it. Amen. That's why it must go out. It's why we send some and finance others <laughs> to keep it going, you know. It's a must. In fact, Jesus said over in John 6, I don't have this on the screen, but he says that nobody can come to me unless he's drawn by my Father. So it's God who initiated love, and it's God who through his grace has sent forth the gospel into the world. Amen? We understand that. And then there's the hardness of the heart that we find in the nonbeliever. Notice in verse 19 it says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. In other words, it means that... Uh, that he's gone past, if you will, feeling has become callous or has a hard heart and is now enslaved in sin. And I have to say, that is where I used to live. Enslaved in sin with a callous heart, rejecting the truth. But God is gracious. So now we've kind of looked at the non-believer, but more importantly, let's look at the life of of the one who's come to know him. And that's most of us in this room. Notice in verse 20, as we continue, he says, but you in contrast, y'all see that? But you, now he's talking to us now. Those of us who have, who've said yes to Christ, who have been born again, but you, he says, have not so learned Christ. Now listen to the language very carefully because he didn't say, but you have not so learned about Christ. He didn't say that, did he? No, he didn't. He says, you have not learned Christ because it is something that we need to be very careful that we are not just learning about Christ because it's possible to learn about Christ and not be saved. Did you know that? So we need to be very careful about that. Listen, the Bible tells us uh, in several places, it says that the demons believe and tremble, but they don't repent. They don't come to know him. So I don't want to know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. In fact, Paul says to the Corinthians, not on the screen, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, if you're taking notes, he says, examine yourself. This is the warning to us who are gathered together in an assembly like this. Examine yourself, whether you are in the faith, prove yourselves, know you not that you yourselves, um, how that Jesus 
Christ is in you except you be reprobates. In other words, examine yourself. The Bible teaches us that the spirit of God that dwells in us bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. Amen? You know if you are in the faith. Paul says here, but you have not so learned Christ. In other words, listen, as you have begun to learn Christ himself through relationship with him, you have not learned the things of the world or the things of the old man, but you have learned new things that make for spiritual growth and righteousness. And this is what Paul meant up in verse 17 when he says, I therefore, I say therefore rather, and testify. I love that word testify because Paul is identifying with us that he can testify that these things are so. That when you come to know him, there's a new life and there is a change and a transformation that begins to take place. And I believe that every believer from the beginning of your relationship with Jesus, you know whether or not you have experienced the fellowship with God. You know it. He's made it evident in you. He's brought about change. And you have to examine yourself to see if that is the case or not. So then now, listen, we see this. But you have not so learned Christ, and we go on in verse 21, if indeed, notice he says, you have heard of him and been taught by him as the truth, he says, is in Christ. I love that. He says, if indeed you have heard of him, and we've heard, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Sometimes you wonder why, because sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes, and no, none of you have ever heard Jesus' voice audible. I don't care what your testimony is. We can talk about it afterwards. But I tell you this, sometimes he speaks so loud on the inside of you that it sounds like he's standing right beside you yelling, doesn't it? And then sometimes he can speak so faint and you can be so distracted by the world that you can barely hear him and you're crying out, Lord, I need to hear from you. But he speaks to those who belong to him. And he doesn't just speak to you. Notice in the verse it implies as well, and have been taught by him. Did you catch that? This is beautiful. Up. Further, he said he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints. He has done that. But he's the one that teaches you. Listen, he's ordained the sacred assembly. He speaks through the gift of teaching in this format. Yes, he does, and this is wonderful, and we need this so that we can be taught together, we can experience the fellowship together, and we can stay on track. But ultimately, in the life of a real disciple, Jesus is the one doing the teaching. In fact, John says, you don't need that someone always teach you because of the anointing that abides on you. In 1 John, he says that. In other words, he's implying what? That as you walk with Christ, not only is he going to speak to you, but he's literally going to teach you and open the scripture to you. And see, this is something that we must begin to experience if you're not. And so, as we go on and, and look at verse 22 with me, we're going to spend the rest of our time in these next several verses we got to begin to learn what the response should be to all of this then. And in these verses 22 through 24, we see three things that we should do in response. We should put off, we should be renewed, and we should put some things on. We should put off concerning the old stuff. Be renewed, he's going to tell us in the spirit of our mind, and then put on the new stuff. Amen? I love this. Look at the verse with me, verse 22. Look at it. It says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. There's a whole lot of stuff in that verse that we need to spend time on. But the first thing he says is put off. The word in the Greek, it literally implies to lay down, 
or to cast something off, lay it down, cast it off, put it away. That's what it's talking about. When I was listening in high school, I grew up here in North Carolina. And I grew up in Northampton County where we mostly grow peanuts, cotton, and corn and some soybean. My mother, on the other hand, is from Duplin County where they grow a whole lot of tobacco. And so this one summer, I, was, I went to work in the tobacco fields to make some money. Tobacco field by day, football practice by night. And I tell you, I worked all day like a slave in this man's tobacco field, and he slapped $26 in my hand, and I almost punched him. <laughs> like, what in the world? And uh, all day long, it was my first day ever working tobacco, and I grew up on a farm, but we never grew that stuff. And so then I went home. Now, my mother, who's from Duplin County, and she knew what I was doing all day, meets me at the back door as I'm about to come in the house, and she says, oh, no, you ain't. Because if you ever, how many of you ever worked in tobacco? That's about three of you. You know what I'm talking about. So when you work in tobacco, they call it priming the tobacco. You get covered in black soot that just don't want to go nowhere. And my mama stopped me at the door and she said, you ain't bringing that stuff in my house. You take all of that off right here. And I had to outside take all my clothes off and then go streaking across the house to get to the bathroom, leaving all my stuff. She said, you get you a bucket and a water hose and clean that mess later, but you ain't coming here with that. And see, y'all, don't, y'all could not believe that my mom would say that because she's here today and y'all know her. And she's this sweet little lady. <laughs> she's this sweet little lady because she knows that, you know, that seeing the Lord is closer today than it used to be. <laughs> but back then... She didn't play. And I remember her telling me, because if I looked at her wrong, she would threaten to knock me into one of the other weeks on the calendar, you know. (laughs) But she wouldn't let me come in. She said, you got to cast that mess off. You can't bring that in here. You see, those clothes had to come off. And I had to take those old garments off and leave them and go cleanse myself. See, this is something I want you to see as we begin to look at this. He says, he says in verse 22, That you put off concerning what? Your former conduct, your former manner of life, that your behavior, the way that you used to live, you have to put some things off. And he goes on to say the old man he attributes it to, but then he says, which grows corrupt according to, notice he says, you see it with me? Deceitful lust. It's very interesting how he words all of that because he's talking to the church. He's talking to the church, which is now alive. And he says to the believer who is now alive, hey, put off the former conduct, which the old man, which begins to grow corrupt by deceitful lust. And it becomes very interesting because what he's saying is that there is a deceitful lust that goes with the old man who, although he's dead and we are alive in Christ, we're still dragging around because that old nature, the carnal flesh is still the carnal flesh. And this lust, listen, deceitful lust, lust implies, listen, desires, cravings, longings for things. And he's saying it's that in us, our desires, even as born again believers that we have in us, that can, if we allow it, begin to cause us to begin to grow corrupt, deceitful desires. Now listen, is he talking about sexual immorality? Of course he is talking about sexual immorality, but he's talking about many other things as well, not just that. In fact, it becomes very interesting because what he's saying is that we need to be careful as believers what we are desiring because even, listen, even when we think our intentions are good, we can be deceived by our own desires 
which may not be the same as God's. I remember praying with a young person. Um, it was a while ago, and the person's not here. Don't worry about it. But I remember praying with a young person who was asking for prayer about another young person that they wanted to marry. And they were asking me to pray for that. And I happened to know that the other young person wasn't even interested. <laughs> it's hard because 50% of the prayer requests that come at pastors, listen, 50% of the prayer requests that we receive are tainted, tainted with the deceitfulness of lust, desires and cravings that we may have, which may not line up to God's. And so I remember saying to myself, Lord, how am I supposed to pray for this? So I said, begin to pray that, Lord, and I said to the person, I said, listen, get your mind off of that and put your mind on Christ. And I began to pray, Lord, let your will be done because your plan is perfect and you have plans that are beyond this person's wildest imagination to bless this person and to, and all that. And I went to begin to direct the prayer back to the heart, the mind, and the will of God. Because sometimes we want stuff that the truth is, if we get it, It'll take us away from God, which is often why the Lord don't give us those things. And we have to be careful with the deceitfulness of lust because it can begin to grow corruption on the inside of us now that we know him. And we have to be so careful with that because your desire could be for things that look good. It may be a desire for ministry in an area where God has not called you to be or not gifted you. It could be a desire to do something that God does not desire for you to do. And so what he's saying is we have to put off the form of conduct, the way we used to live, and begin to learn as believers that there's a different way we are to live. And it is to check a lot of stuff at the door and fully just surrender to God and say, Lord, you know what? Whatever you want to do, that's what I want. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. And I'm going to tell you, when I learned that lesson, God just did amazing things in my life. Look, Peter had good intentions when he said to Jesus one day, he said, Lord, I've been listening to you. And you're talking about this whole cross situation and cross crucifixion and we're going to go to Jerusalem and you ain't leaving with us. And quite frankly, I don't agree with that, Jesus. Let me tell you how it should go. And so Peter taught to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus said, Peter... And, and I love this about Peter because he loved Jesus. Man, if I was Peter, I would have done the same thing. Jesus, I don't want you to leave. I, no, stay. What are you talking about? You're going. And, no, Jesus, that is not the right way to go. <laughs> you know that should never come out of your mouth, by the way. <laughs> Knowing Jesus is something I, I try to, you know, I, as soon as it comes out of my mouth, I repent. I get on the floor, prostrate. as the Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> Peter tried to talk the Lord out of this. You know, Jesus modeled this whole thing. For us himself. You remember the night before Jesus was going to go to the cross. Well, you've read about it at least. And Jesus said he was praying. And Jesus was having a moment as he was talking to his father. And in his humanity, his desire was for something that was not what he and the father agreed with when God had his meeting in heaven in eternity's past. God, the son, God, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit had this discussion. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll do it. But when the night before that, in his humanity, he said, dad, I've been thinking about this situation. <laughs> and tomorrow they pose a nail meter, that piece of wood. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's going to be real excruciating and humiliating. And if there's a different way we can do this, why don't we renegotiate and come up with a different plan 
But Jesus, who never sinned, stopped in the middle of that prayer and said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will. But did you know the Bible goes on to say, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider it equal to be robbery, to be, robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself no reputation and was obedient even to the death, the death of the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow. Heaven above, earth beneath, to the glory of God. In other words, we take that mindset on to say, God, my life is now yours. That's what discipleship is. And whatever you do is what I surrender to. That's what the Bible is telling us. The deceitfulness of lust and desire can bring us down. We have to be careful. So we have to put off those garments. You know, the picture... It's clear when Jesus stalled before he went to Bethany because Lazarus was sick. So Jesus said, I'm going to make sure he's good and dead when I get there because God needed to be glorified. It was a particular way God wanted to do it. And so Jesus showed up in the mind of everybody there, Martha and Mary, at least late because their brother Lazarus was dead. And Jesus says, all right, roll the stone away. John 11, verse 39, Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha said, uh, Martha the sister of him who was dead said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. In other words, King James Version, Lord, by now he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Jesus says, roll the stone away. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And in verse 44, the same chapter, you hear Jesus saying then, and he, he who had uh, died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them that stood by, you know what? Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Listen, he was alive now. He was dead. He'd been dead four days. Now he's alive again. So Jesus says to him, loose him and set him free, basically, one version says. In other words, get the old dead garments off of him so that he can walk in this newness of life that I just gave him. That's what Jesus is essentially saying. And the question to us today and to you and to me is why on earth would we go around wearing old grave clothes? We should put on the new garments and embrace the freedom and the joy of the new life that Christ has given us. And that means that we are required, even exhorted by Paul, to put these things off. In other words, as a believer, Jesus is not making like, you know, Y'all forgive me for a second because I don't have an analogy. You know, some things just don't taste as good as this real stuff. Everything is instant today, isn't it? And that's what we want, instant Christianity. No, it's a process by which we take part in. Jesus says, count the cost. Take up your cross and fall out to me. So therefore, you have to examine in your own life now. What are the old dead clothes that you're still wearing? What do you need to take off and leave behind? And what things are you holding on to that you're not surrendering to him? You got to put those things off. The way you think, the way you conduct yourself. You know, I was telling first service, some of us used to be very good at the things we do. You know, I was uh, pretty good when I was coming up in the business world and banking and I knew how to get a lot of things done. Some of you were really good salesmen. Some of you could do a lot of things really good and you knew how to get over and get what you wanted and manipulate situations. And the thing is, now that you're a Christian, the Lord is like, don't bring that in here. 
I'm creating this brand new body laid upon a wonderful foundation. I'm building it up as to be this glorious thing that, that I will love and, and, and cherish. And he's saying, hey, check that stuff because it doesn't belong. So what we need to do and how do we, how do, we do that? Well, notice the next verse. Verse 23, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So in other words, literally, your mind has to change. Your stinking thinking needs to be corrected. He said over in Romans, he says that we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? So this is a big deal. You know, Proverbs, listen, here's the thing. Physically, you are what you eat, but spiritually, you are what you think. Proverbs says this. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And so, therefore, something has to happen in the life of the believer. Now that we are in the Lord, now that we are putting stuff off, we need to be renewed. And there's a way that God seeks to do that in your life. He does it by his word. Jesus is in the process of washing you, of sanctifying you, and of perfecting you. In other words, he does this by his word. John 17, 17, it says, the Bible says, Jesus praying to his father. He says, Lord, sanctify them by truth, by your truth, excuse me. Your word is truth. Do you see that? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Then in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, on the screen, we'll get there in a few months, but on the screen for now, it says, husbands, love your wives Setting us up for tonight. You know, everything just flows into marriage today. It wasn't planned, by the way. But marriage is the foundation of family and the foundation of society. So we need to bring it before the Lord. He says, but husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Notice that he might sanctify and cleanse it. So he wants to sanctify the word sanctify, by the way. It means to set apart as something special and holy before God. So he wants to... Uh, cleanse it, sanctify and cleanse it, but notice how? With the washing of water by the word. So imagery there, the washing of the word. There's another place where Jesus says, you guys are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And so he's still speaking to us and cleansing us. It's a daily thing. So in other words, we need a daily word bath. He goes on to say on the screen that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. In other words, the work that Jesus is currently doing with his church is to prepare her to stand before him perfect. But we messed up. That's the truth. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you know yourself. How are we going to be perfect if I'm a part of it? That's what you should say. I, I can only say it for myself because you know you know your life, you know your heart. How can the church be perfect if we're there? Because he's working on us according to his word, which then means that if you ain't in the word, you're not experiencing all that he's trying to do in your life. Now understand this. Look, church has got a lot of things about it because it's of God, right? And he created us and we're diverse. And so part of church is what we experience. Worship music is good. And music is created by God. And music strikes something on the inside. It stirs emotion. And when music is good, some people like to move a little bit. You know, and so that you got your Pentecostals, but then the conservatives don't like it. And then you got all that going on. But it makes you move a little bit. And then you can sense that God is in present in the whole thing. And you know his spirit is with you. And you, you can feel his presence. And it makes you uh, feel good. And you begin to enjoy that, right? 
Anybody ever experienced that? It's good. It's a part of the whole thing. It really, really is. However, the thing is, unless we then settle down and get into the meat of his word, then we won't grow. And then Jesus said it. He says, if you continue my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And you'll grow that way. In other words, if we're not getting God's word consistently, then we are not being truly conformed into his image. We are immature and still children. That's what this section of scripture is about. Peter said, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. In other words, we are to embrace the very word of God that he may work on us and cleanse us and wash us and completely conform us to the image that he desires. In other words, we're all blessed the more we all grow up and mature, which means we all need to have a constant diet of God's word. And you can't get it on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is just the encouraging part. It's the part to get you ready for the week. But you must be in the word tomorrow. In fact, the Lord is trying to draw us there and everything else that Satan is doing to try to distract us. But man, when you sit by yourself and you open up his word and, and you, you begin to spend time with him, it's like you meeting the Lord somewhere at your favorite spot, hanging out with him. He begins to show you things. I meet with a lot of guys here at the church on a weekly basis. Actually, not here at the church, but out in town. You might find me at a diner or like all the different guys, we got our favorite spot. And so one guy I meet at the diner, another guy I meet at a coffee house, another guy we'll meet at a wings place and, you know, and, and, and don't mention any kind of crab shack you can find or seafood place. I just meet guys and we fellowship and we talk and we laugh and we open up the word of God. And that's our time together. Well, likewise, that's what the Lord is trying to do with you. He's trying to draw you into a time with him in the word on Monday and Tuesday. Be here on Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday and Saturday mornings and tonight even. And you begin to meditate on it and you become grounded and fruitful and unmovable. Amen. You know, all of these things happen as you allow the word of God to change your life. But if you're not, look, if you neglect this, you're neglecting a large part of what Jesus is trying to accomplish in your life. So he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Then he ends here in verse 24. As we're over time, let's finish up really quick. He says that you put on the new man. So we've put off, we've been renewed. Now he says you put on the new man, which was created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. Now here's the thing. This verse 24, in my opinion, can be a little misleading when he says put on. Because you might think that you got to do something now to get this, right? But that's not necessarily the case because... Put on the new man. Well, you didn't create the new man and can't, right? Okay, you can't make yourself righteous. In fact, the Bible says the righteousness of man is filthy rags of God. Your stuff don't add up. So there's something that he's done to make this happen now as we're responding to him. And we need to understand it. Listen, it kind of goes like this. When I, um, I don't wear a lot of suits anymore because it's Calvary Chapel, you know, other than weddings, funerals, Easter and Christmas, you know, not a lot of suits. But when I worked in the bank, um, there was a point in my life where there was a particular position where I had to wear suits all the time. And generally, I buy my suits off the rack because, you know, it, you know those, that's cost effective. But even then, I always had to take my suits to the tailor. And my favorite tailor was in, in Raleigh off of Capitol Boulevard. I would go to this dry cleaners. There was this Asian lady named, it was a place named Sue Taylor. That was her name. And I would go in. She didn't speak a lot of English. And I would bring my suit in there to see Miss Sue, Sue Taylor. And and she didn't speak a lot of English. I would, you know, hand her the suit. She hand it back. You put that on. Okay, I go in the back. I put it on to come out. You stand here. And I would get on the platform, you know. 
And then she would, she would come out and she would measure and pen and chalk and she had pencils in her ear and all this stuff. And she's just humming and doing her thing. And then you leave that with me. Yes, ma'am. I go back and change. And I would hand it to her. You come back in three days. Yes, ma'am. Come back in three days. I mean, she was, she was tough too. I come back three days later. And she would be so excited to see me walk in. I walk in, and she would run and get it and bring it to me. You put that on. I would go put it on. <laughs> I would come out and stand, and she had all these mirrors. And I would look in the mirror, and that thing I brought off the rack, by the time she was done, looked like it was made for me. Because the word here, when he says here to put on, it actually means Listen, it speaks of clothes, but it actually means to fall into, if you will, to fall into something. In other words, something that's made. In other words, we are to fall now into, fully embrace a whole new set of garments and a whole new way of life, which Christ has made for us. And this is the picture he wants us to have. Because listen, when we go to heaven, when we stand before him, we'll be clothed in new garments of righteousness that represent him that he's made for us. Well, he's done that down here. So he's saying, take that old junk off. Let me wash you in my word. Put this whole new set on and, 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 and walk in the newness of life. This is what we're called to do. So we got to check a lot of things at the door. This hat, second half, remember, I told you the second half of the book of Ephesians is practical. It's about growing up in Christ. And so the challenge for you is to... Get into the word like you ain't never done before. And I've seen it so many times. Paul says, I testify. I, I say therefore and testify. He knew it. And I've seen it so many times. I've seen the word of God completely transform a person's life as the worship team comes up, their way of thinking and who they are. And he'll do that in you. So if you're walking around today and your life is still kind of resemblant of the old man and you still got the old dirty garments on and, and you can still hear and smell the, the, the places and the things of the past, then you have not so learned Christ. You've learned about him, but you haven't learned him. In other words, Jesus is saying, come after me. Meet me here. Let's travel through my word together. Let me show you the things concerning your life personally. And let me make a new, brand new work out of you. This study is called his workmanship, his poem. That is what you are. You are his poem. Let him do some work in you. Let him perfect you. Let him make something beautiful. Amen. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you've done in our midst. And as we prepare to go out of this place, Lord, I pray that you would go before each person, each family represented. That you would be with them in their cars, their homes their jobs, the cubicle, the marketplace, Lord, the office, the boardroom, the classroom. Protect them, keep them. Lord, continue to draw them into a deeper relationship with you. Lord, we love you. We surrender to you. Have your way in our lives. And while our heads are still bowed and our eyes are still closed, if there any anyone here today who maybe your life, you've never simply surrendered to the Lord and repented of of the old life and the sin and allowed him to forgive you and pour his spirit into you and give you new life. That is a miracle of God. It has nothing to do with man or how eloquent or not a man speaks. It simply is you responding to the tug on the inside that the Lord puts there. That's his Holy Spirit loving you and drawing you if, if you're here feeling that today. So if that is you and today you want to settle those issues and become 
a disciple of Christ, you raise your hand right where you are, and I will pray with you if there's anyone here who needs to settle that today. And so, Lord, we do thank you, love you, for all that you've done. And it's in Jesus' name we say together, saints, amen.